From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hi, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. Our panel discussion this week features a group that's been working on reforming the juvenile justice system in the Commonwealth and seeking to end youth incarceration. I have a chat with care, not control. We walk with our hands behind our back, single file line. The food that we ate was horrible. It was like dog food. It literally, like, I felt like I was in an adult prison. Sharaday Howard's newsmaker this week are curators of an artist-run gallery in Germantown, connecting the community through art, conversation, and civic engagement. Allow the space to be used for messaging, for meeting, for developing, creating, but always, always with art as a focus. Antoinette Lee's Philly Rising Changemaker is a dedicated father and community member who holds elected officials accountable to get things done using social media. The page is also for me to hold myself accountable as a resident of Philadelphia so that I can learn about what's important for me and my community. All that's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. In 2018, Black youth identified as male accounted for 7% of Pennsylvania's population, but 56% of adult prosecution filings and 57% of adult convictions. And annually, 3,000 children and teens are locked in incarceral settings where many experience violence instead of justice. We are here with the youth nonprofit Care Not Control. They've been working on reforming the juvenile justice system in the Commonwealth and seeking to end youth incarceration. We're going to talk about some of the issues surrounding youth incarceration and also about an album that just dropped and what the message is where that is concerned. With me is Michaela Pommels, Care Not Control campaign organizer. Bree Stove, she's a youth organizer with Care Not Control and also with the Village of Arts and Humanities, and she is also a youth advocate at Juvenile Law Center. And Jahir Williams Hill, he is a youth organizer with Care Not Control as well, and also with the Village of Arts and Humanities, and he is with Youth Art and Self-Empowerment Project. Welcome to the program, everyone. So let's right get right into the work of Care Not Control, starting first with the name, Michaela. Talk to me about the name Care Not Control. What does that mean? Um, Care Not Control uh, for us is uh, really meant to uplift the um, fact that young people, particularly children, need to have um, care as opposed to control or um, in and when I say control, we really are looking at it in the context of law enforcement, the carceral state, um, uh, situations in which young people are are and their families are unable to participate in making a choice about their lives. And we um, believe that young people deserve care and to be in community-based uh, settings when they're needing to take accountability or uh, facing the juvenile justice system. On your website, it reads, the story of youth incarceration in Pennsylvania is one of ineffective spending, racial discrimination, and unchecked abuse of children being locked in adult jails and of life-altering trauma. Now, we are also aware of some troubling issues at juvenile detention centers as of late. Recently, a Commonwealth Court judge um, ordered a state official to uh, take custody of 15 kids living at a detention center. 
And um, it's uh, allegedly dangerous and overcrowded and understaffed. And many are on waiting lists to be placed in what's called youth development centers. Tell me what your take is of that situation, which I find disturbing, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I would agree. It's it's disturbing. It's a horrifying situation. Um, we believe that children should be close to home. They should be with their families and being sent thousands of miles away. Um, it's going to be an increasingly traumatic experience. Youth who experience incarceration are already um, experiencing trauma. So this will not only increase that traumatic experience, it's also expensive and only leads to more issues. Bree, I know that I know of your story. We've spoken before. Uh, you got into a bit of a dust up with a police officer, got blown out of control. But before it was all smoothed out and worked out, you did end up spending a little bit of time in a youth facility. Can you talk about your experience? Yes. Um, honestly, my experience was traumatizing, honestly, because one, I wasn't in my city. Um, I had to sit inside the youth center that they had. And literally, it was like a jail. We wore orange jumpsuits. We walked with our hands behind our back, single file line. It was just, the food that we ate was horrible. It was like dog food. It literally, like I felt like I was in an adult prison and they let us know and informed us that below us was younger, not still young people, but older than us that was below us that like was doing more criminal things than we were. So in a sense, unsafe because you know, why is there to us? Because I'm 14 adults under us, you know, in the same facility. Yeah, and we're talking about a 14-year-old girl in a facility being treated like that, wearing an orange jumpsuit and being subjected to something like that. You know, Michaela, it just brings to mind that, you know, teens make, just like adults, can make a bad decision or a wrong decision. Um, and, you know, there's got to be a better way, I guess you would say, to deal with that other than locking them away instead of educating them or helping them. Talk about that a little bit. Some of the alternatives to locking up youth. Yeah. Um, I mean, we, uh, you know, absolutely agree and believe that youth prisons or in opening any additional youth prisons is, <clears throat> excuse me, not an effective solution. Um, we know that research, and this is decades of research, proves that holistic community-based care, culturally appropriate supports um, that center youth and their families and their communities are the best options. Um, so uh, alternatives uh, look like many different things. Alternatives look like investing in uh, programs that offer young people opportunities to um, be held accountable in situ that in spaces that don't require them to be in the carceral state. So, for example, diversion programs that allow young people to um, work with community to with community organizations or community agencies. There's a number of different criteria that goes along with being in a diversion program, but it does offer young people an opportunity to divert the juvenile justice system um, and uh, restorative justice models um, that we know have proven to be a more effective solution where young people have opportunities to not only uh, be in a situation where they can feel like they are uh, being held accountable. And what we've learned is that when you're in a incarcerated setting in a jail setting that you don't actually have the time, right, to really think about what 
the experience that you had, how it may have impacted other people, how it impacted yourself, your family, um, other people. Instead, you're often put in a scenario where you're trying to survive this traumatic experience day to day. So we know that restorative justice, investing in community-based organizations and community-based programming in ensuring that communities have the resources that they need for young people to have places to go after school, for our schools to be uh, resourced in the, the neighborhood where the Village of Arts and Humanities sits, public schools over the last two decades have been shuttered. The divestment in the community, it offers no place for young people to be. Um, we're lucky that we are able to offer services to young people, but that is not something that youth across the city have access to in their communities. So, you know, the solution for us is is releasing people back into their communities and offering options for young people to be in their community as opposed to being in a carceral setting. Jahira Williams-Hill, tell me about your experience with the uh, juvenile justice system and how long ago uh, were you? did you find yourself involved? I was incarcerated back in 2018 for a crime I committed. My experiences was, was crazy. You know, the staff, the guards wasn't equipped to deal with youth. It was mistreated. We also suffered uh, on our visitation side of things because we didn't get a lot of visitation from our family because we only had one day because we had to share with other people. So we only had one day to visit. We couldn't talk to our family a lot because we had to pay to use the phone. How old were you? I was 17. It sounds very much like an adult lockup situation to me, Michaela. When I'm hearing these descriptions, though, I have to say, and um, that is troubling. Jahir, tell me why you decided to get involved with Care Not Control. Just with the experience, with the stuff that I've been through, you know, uh, in the system, you know, how they treat you, you know, and just seeing my growth and, and knowing that it's more to the actions, it's, it's deeper and it can all be solved. If we get the right help that we need, we're not getting the support that we need. People not out here committing crimes just to commit them. They're doing it because there's something that's bothering them mentally that they feeling like that's the only way they can express it. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. And, you know, putting young people in the system who've already experienced some level of trauma, I, I guess in my view, just compounds on the issue, just makes it worse. I'm going to talk about this album. The Care, Care Not Control, the album. Of course, we talked about it because I caught up with this group on my beat uh, reporting and, of course, had to do a story with them. But I definitely wanted to delve more into the work of the group and the album. And I know, Bree, that you have a single on the album that we all love called Untold Story. Talk about the album before we get to the Untold Story, which is the hit on the album. Michaela, tell me about Care Not Control, the album and what the messaging here is. Care Not Control, the album, has been a project that uh, came about from young people who were working on the coalition who wanted to express themselves through music. Um, our, our goal with the album, um, I think Brie and Jahir can, can speak to this as well, is our goal with the album is to um, show the humanity of young people to really lift up their stories. Um, that's partly why Brie's Untold Story is the, the first single, because it really captures, I think, the essence of what they're um, trying to convey through this album, that youth who have experienced incarceration also have 
hopes and dreams. And uh, when they think of youth incarceration, they can think of young people like Jahir and Bree who are doing amazing things, becoming amazing youth organizers um, and really speaking truth to power and seeing an, uh, the flip side, another side of, um, and what an example looks like of youth who have support and community and people who love and care for them. Bree, tell me about um, this single, um, Untold Story. What's that about? It all started off when I first went on a run. Everything was cool. I was worried about having fun. Then I started smoking and drinking and couldn't stop. I tried to none the pain. I was really going through a lot. I lost my best friend. The year was turning It's a story about before incarceration, after incarceration, and during incarceration. Um, it shines light of, you know, like Jair said, a lot of times there's a reason behind a reason or a reason behind why a young person has committed a crime. So if they're not getting support in that way, they don't understand in a sense right from wrong, no matter how you know old they may they may be in age, their mind mentally doesn't understand, you know, why am I getting in trouble for this? So I'm gonna consistently keep doing it. And my untold story just shows also like when you're incarcerated, whatever they put on pen and paper is what it is. And it's sad to say, but that's reality. And it's like, you know, it could be, I didn't do this, but it's your word against authority. So I'm letting young people know that y'all can tell y'all story before anybody else. Right, right. Understand. Jahir, tell me about what it was like working on this album. I guess you got, uh, got a chance to display some of your, some of your creative talents on this one. It was actually fun, and and um, I, I was doing the engineering part on it, like uh, doing some of the beats. So it was fun trying trying to do that, and uh, you know, match you know the team, uh, their words, you know, their feelings and stuff. You know, finding the beats for them. Bree, I'm gonna put you on the spot. Got to get a little freestyle, Bree. You up for it? Yes. Oh, I've been working on cooking up a little something. <laughs> Some thoughts in my mind I cannot explain. They won't go away, so it drives me insane. Fighting these battles, can't nobody see. Just me and my demons, it's them versus me. Took so many losses, I'm destined to win. My soul is in pain, but I still smile and grin. Love it. I, I love the, the the freestyle. I love that you are able to put your experiences to music and get the message across in a fun way, but in a way that's impactful and that people will will understand. I, I appreciate it. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I just had to hear a little bit. So the album is out, of course. How can, you know, if people want to download the album, find the album, uh, where can they go? The album is available on all platforms, streaming. Um, you can go to Bandcamp to find the singles. Uh, folks can find the album at carenotcontrol.com backslash the album. You can find all of the singles. You can download the full album, which is also available on Bandcamp and will soon be available on all other streaming platforms. Um, and you can also find um, bios and more information about all the folks who helped to work on the album. All right, great. Sounds good. McKenna Pommels, Bree Stoves, and of course, Jahir Williams-Hill from Care Not Control. I hope you have much success with the album and of course, the messaging behind the album. And thank you so much for taking time to joining us on Bridging Philly. Yes, yes, untold story. Gotta tell it for me. Don't want to be an untold story. Gotta 
An artist-run gallery in Germantown welcomes the community to connect and grow through conversation surrounding art as well as civic engagement. Sharaday Howard talks with our Newsmaker of the Week, the curators of Imperfect Gallery. Founded by Rennie Molinar and Rocio Cabello a decade ago, the Imperfect Gallery was created with the intention of becoming a voice in and for the community, fostering conversations with art and humanity at its core. This past election season, the gallery made news and politics its muse. Ranging from women's rights to gun violence, the space made a point to run an exhibit addressing those very topics, asking their artists to paint their politics. The two founders of the gallery, Rocio Cabello and Rennie Molinar, say they're equally committed to the work as they are their artists. Rocio, Rennie, welcome to Bridging Philly. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So as an artist-run gallery, what are you looking to really add to the community? A place where we can meet each other, network, to give opportunities to people in this area. We identified it as a void in this area for with so many artists and not a place to congregate. So this fills many roles, actually, because it's, it's more than just showing artwork. But it is an art-centric mm-hmm. operation where we facilitate space. And it's critically important. We are able to talk to the community in different ways, politically, socially, allow the space to be used for messaging, for meeting, for developing, creating, but always, always with art as a focus. So it's about engaging the community. It's about inspiring the community, but also lifting it up. Can you talk about what separates this gallery from other galleries? I think one of the things that separate us is we allow people to experiment. We give them complete freedom to succeed or fail because we all learn from we, our, we give them the opportunity to fail. <laughs> we will come true. down on them. We will. Yeah, without that, you can't move forward. You have to have the opportunity to fail. And, that, and, and the right to fail, that freedom to fail, because that's how you move forward. And without that? You're stagnant. You, you're, you're in your own bubble. Um, if you don't get out of your own comfort zone, if you don't have a scientist who doesn't experiment, does not discover the, the solution. So we're, we're problem solvers. Same thing with art. You have to flow. Um, and if you're afraid, what people are going to say, you're in trouble. So you open it up. You open it up for people to have an opportunity to kind of grow, figure out their own way, but also commit to their art, commit to it. So what about committing to art really defines this place? Oh, wow. You definitely have to be committed. Otherwise, it shows. It really does show. And he can tell. He can tell when artists are trying to just give lip and not really have the substance or the experience or the commitment. Basically, it's a commitment. And the passion. The The passion passion is driven Mm -hmm. by how important is this to you. If an artist comes and says, I deserve a show or I need a show or I'm great, and then they show you 10 paintings that they've done in 40 years, that's not really a commitment. Your passion shows and he has a good eye for it. So he he can tell when an artist really deserves a show. We don't take it for granted. Just because you say you're an artist is not good enough. You know, you have to show it. So you challenge them. Why is it so important as a gallery like you, a boutique gallery in Germantown, to challenge your artists? Because of respect. As an educator, I spent 25 years working with kids. And the mission, even even when I was a young artist in a Latino family, they're like, when are you going to get a real job? You know, it's like, my my, my mom's is like super supportive. But um, 
she was like, well, you know, I've come from a family of artists. It always comes up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, we're going to support you. We want you to be an artist. So I, I, start, I start college as an architecture student. Of course, that was, that's a real career. And so that lasted one week. Then I went to commercial art that lasted four days. And I, I was like, fine, go for your fine art stuff. And, you know, because that's what made sense to me. It's always been really important to separate art from being silly. That there's all these derogatory this because of the confusion or you're going to be famous when you die or so as an artist and as an artist run gallery you have to redefine that every day you have to redefine what an artist is what art is <laughs> and your vision every day and, and a gallerist years ago told me that well we we are educators as a gallerist you're constantly constantly explaining to people what you do you're also the translator for the artist. Um, you know, the artist, we are, because we are both, the artist, we are the voice of, of the community in a certain sense. You know, we sort of distill things and the poets and musicians, the visual artists, we take our society, our surrounding, and, and we distill it into these forms right. of art. Um, Messages. Messaging. You know, we communicate. Whatever it is, whether it's about love, whether it's about politics, is whatever it is, since we knew how to scratch the wall, we started scratching something onto it, you know, so. And naturally, civic engagement comes up. So we just had voting season. I mean, the elections, midterms was really intense. And you guys played an important part in that as a gallery over the months. Can you talk about that? This show is an annual, it's our 10th annual Germantown show. Germantown because we are in Germantown. This exhibit is our 10th annual exhibit, which we usually title it just by numerical, real generic. This one was different. He really wanted to focus it on... And then we thought, oh, this is perfect timing. I mean, it's so many things came together, right? So what was the focus? Hands off. Women's bodies, women's rights. Um, and we took the exhibit, which usually starts in early September. We pushed it to coincide with the election. We, even though with this tiny little scrappy place, we do feel we are part of the community, we are part of the whole, so our voice counts, you know, it matters. And it was stunning. It was, it was non-curated, non-judged, non-juried exhibit, our, our idea of democracy. And the only thing we limit is the size so that Everybody could fit, you know? <laughs> we did an open mic, open floors, just with the idea of trying to, like, at least hold ourselves in a space because there's a lot of anger, a lot of anxiety was going on. So we needed to chill, find a way to be together. And, man, there were some good voices. What stood out to you because of election season? It makes it so tense, but how can you communicate a message, a really important message, in a way in which that's a little bit more palatable? Because that's what you guys did with this. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's true. It's just having so many people voice their sentiments about what was happening, uh, what was at stake, not just between us, but also to the visitors that came, you know, they, it, it just to see everything all together. It, people were very moved. They, I mean, there were people crying here. Some of the artists chose to, for example, point out how many of us know people who have had abortions. We all do. If you my moms, my, you know. <laughs> yeah, and then you realize, whoa, this is not a one-off or something. No, this is very common. Either people who came in who have had abortions, who never told anyone, or you know in your family. It really got to people's hearts. As the election came closer and closer, and then we said, okay, well, how do we communicate to the rest of the people, the ones that never came in? Right. So we went across the street 
and we hung a sign right on the fence that's across the street. And the sign is basically speaking to our neighbors. And the sign says, vote, please. <laughs> please, with a, an urgency uh, and... That's what we do. We, we have a little space where we organize. And the, ex, the exhibition, we wanted to use this opportunity of this milestone of turning 10 and make it meaningful. Mm. But the nice thing is, is we made sure that the artist understood that it wasn't an illustration. They didn't have to do work about the subject. We were looking for solidarity. How can artists come together, whatever your sexual orientation, whatever your religion, if you think women should have this right, no matter what you want to do with your body, can we have these rights established and you don't have, if you paint flowers and you want to be done, that's what we're looking for is solidarity. Um, 84 artists came together to say hands off. The show is beautiful. It's no finger wagging. You're not coming in. You're not being assaulted. Going out, leaving this, you're newsmakers in your own right. Why is it so important for that translation of art and a message to land in the right place and not just Germantown. That's the difference between an artist-run gallery and someone interested in the enterprise of selling artwork. What we do is specific to nourishing the voice of the artist. And feeding the whole artist. Well said. Thank you so much for being here at Bridging Philly. You're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, having you is so important. Thank you so much. The Philly Rising Changemaker is sponsored by Penn Medicine Heart and Vascular Center, performing the most advanced heart procedures in the region. Hey, what up? It's Antoinette Lee here with this week's Philly Rising Changemaker. We're coming off of a midterm election, but some folks have found ways to fulfill their civic duty year-round. This week's changemaker is David Evans, who's using his social media platforms to break down politics. Here's how. David Evans is a father, realtor, and part-time coach with Philadelphia Youth Basketball. His interest in local politics peaked with a question, figuring out how he could get speed bumps put in his North Philadelphia neighborhood for the safety of his 11-year-old son who plays outside. It was like, well, I see speed bumps all over the city. How do I, how do I slow these people down? It, it makes my neighborhood dangerous. So I emailed a state representative, and she said, well, you need to contact your uh, city council member. You know, long story short, I emailed the, the city council member. They ended up not getting back to me. But you, you start with one small question and you peel back layers one at a time. And that's how I continue to approach politics in that very micro way. He never got those speed bumps, but what he did get was an idea. In 2021, he started the Instagram page called Local Politics First. It creates transparency and helps citizens understand the complexities of local politics in Philadelphia. The page is also for me to hold myself accountable as a resident of Philadelphia so that I can learn about what's important for me and my community so that I can educate myself and then therefore share that information. Um, I'm still learning. It's a very complex government. One of his latest videos describes the candidates running for city council at large. His delivery is educational and witty with a sprinkle of humor. He says through the page, he hopes to inspire more people to become civically engaged and hold their elected officials accountable. And by... 46% of us, less than half of us participating in our government means that only 46% of us have a say in 
how schools are funded in, in like how crime is solved. Unfortunately, crime will never be eradicated fully. However, it can be mitigated. The page also contains a resource list that informs visitors on various subjects, like how to find their state legislators and the contact information for their city council members. But I have all 17 contacts in my phone. So whenever I need to call one of them or all of them, I can. And I don't have to go to the Internet. It's right on my phone. They all have two offices in the city. They have one locally and then they have one in City Hall, I've learned. Um, And they all have an email address. So they're very easily contacted and 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 they have people that take notes and they're really sweet. They're really kind. And you just got to be persistent with whatever it is issue you want solved. Evans says he's hopeful that increased civic engagement can also lead to more diverse solutions. I want Philadelphians to to have hope for a better today. I want 100 percent of eligible voters to vote in every election, more than voting. I want us as a city to act on solutions. Again, you can check out David on Instagram and TikTok at Local Politics First. That's it for our Philly Rising Changemaker this week. If you know someone in your community who's making a difference and should be highlighted, please let me know. You can reach me on Twitter. You know what? Let's try calling the station. Call the station and let us know who should be our next Philly Rising Changemaker. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Be sure to connect with us on Twitter at Bridging Philly and with me at Raquel on Air. And of course, please subscribe to the podcast. For Internet Lee Showerday Howard and our podcast producer, Tom Rickert, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs>